We're in a series. This is the final installment of a series titled Change. Um, how many have been here for at least a couple of these? Raise your hand if you've been here. Okay. How many here last week? Raise your hand if you're here last week. Okay. So maybe uh, not even half. Wow. Um, so last week was called Change of Correction. And so I talked a very unique message uh, about the importance and the value uh, of correction in your life, L allowing somebody to, uh, in essence, stick their finger in your eye. I used an illustration, a final illustration of my wife allowing her to kind of get an eyelash out of my eye. But it's a very sensitive, sensitive part of the body is the human eye. And I think we're very sensitive to correction. And, but sometimes in order to be able to see clearly and move forward, we need so we need to give permission to God and other people to correct or to, or to kind of pull the things that we can't see out of our eye. Amen? And so if you, never, if you didn't receive that, you can go online to our website and you can, you can pull that up. You can go to uh, YouTube as well. And if you subscribe to YouTube, you'll get every message every Sunday just sent into your email. So you don't have to do a lot of work. Just subscribe to that and that will help you in a big way. Amen? But today we're going to talk about the change of direction. The change of direction. And I want to encourage you that you can... You can change. Change is possible. I think sometimes people are skeptic about that because of human behavior and what they've seen and what they've witnessed and what they've experienced. And so, uh, but I believe you can change. And sometimes the change is uh, it's not instantaneous. In fact, rarely is it like, you know, like that. It's, it's not microwave. It's not in a moment. It's over time. It could be a day, a week, a month, a year. For some of us, a decade. Uh, just so you know, I'm not pointing at you, I'm pointing at me. Some things take a while. Uh, my wife's being quiet right now. Praise the Lord. Uh, she's in this service, so I have to be good. Um, and I have to tell the truth. Hallelujah. But we, one of the reasons, though, that we sometimes don't change is because we're not following directions the way the directions are given. And so I, I heard a story about a husband, and he gave his wife some direction. Uh, and he, he said to her, he said, if I die before you... At my funeral, I want you to put my savings, our life savings, in the casket with me. Okay, whatever. And so she, he says, you promise. You have to do that. She's, she reluctantly said, okay, I promise. You promise. Okay. So sure enough, he dies before her. And they're at the funeral, and her best friend says to her, are you serious? Did you really do what you said you were going to do? Did you, did you keep your promise? You know, you're going to put all the money in the casket? And she says, I did. She says, get out of here. She goes, yeah, I went to the bank, put all the money in the bank. I wrote a check. I put it in the casket. And if he can cash it, he can have it. <laughs> you got to give very specific directions. Very, very, very specific directions. So sometimes I think sometimes we're struggling because we didn't follow directions accurately. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and that's why we don't change. That's why we don't change. So the <laughs> series is all about change. And I think there's a, it's not so much... A, B, C, D, as much as it is a childlikeness, an attitude towards change. Like, we have to want to grow. We have to want to, you know, kind of grow up, right? But it starts, really, to grow up. Sometimes we have, to, we have to stay childlike. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, look what the Bible says. It says, unless you change, everybody say change, and become like little children, like little children. You know, when my, when my son was younger... Uh, you know, like three, four, five, whatever, six years old, he'd go over to his grandparents' house, have a sleepover. His grandmother's in the room. We, he calls her Mimi. And, they, they, you know, they'd have fun, do all kinds of stuff. And my mother, she is very meticulous. She keeps things very, well, perfect, okay? And so the house is perfect all the time. Everything's perfect all the time. So you better look good, too. And so she would clean up Devin after a long day, go up, have, you know, tubby time. <laughs> 
And uh, I just love saying tubby time and Devin in the same sentence. Just <laughs> something about it. It's glorious. Tubby time, Debbie. And so, and after tubby time, Debbie, uh, you, she would clean them all up and, you know, you know, comb his hair and gel and, you know, do, dupe it up and whatever you put in there. And uh, as it's obvious, I don't know anything about that. And, and brush his teeth. And then she would always, and this is not popular now, but she'd always clean his ears. And he was, he hated it. He hated having his ears clean. And so one time I'm talking to my mom. She says, Derek, you're never going to believe this. I said, what? She goes, I went to clean Devin's ears. I said, what happened? She said, I go to clean his ears, and he's just like happy, and he's just handling it totally fine. And she says, I said to him, Devin, I thought you didn't like it. And he goes, Mimi, I've changed. <laughs> I've changed. And see, I think in order to change, all of us need a little bit of tubby time Devi attitude, Okay. We all need kind of that, that childlikeness, that willingness to change. The Bible is basically saying in this scripture, Matthew 18, 3, change is important. But a prerequisite for being able to change is as we grow older, staying younger. As we, in attitude, in disposition. A, a child is malleable, teachable. You, you, they're still able to be molded. And, and I think sometimes as we chronologically uh, maybe that's one part of it, but emotionally and spiritually, sometimes we, we, we become very hard to change, very resistant to change. And I would encourage you to stay open to change because there, there, become, there comes a stubbornness. I think as men, we have this problem. Like, for example, uh, I, I, I pick on that side because uh, that's just wisdom. <laughs> After 26 years of marriage, we don't pick on the ladies, we pick on the men. Uh, but, but I think men, you know this to be true, like we have no, we're notorious for having a problem, uh, uh, you know, getting lost and not asking for directions. In fact, <laughs> in fact, um, I, I gotta. I, I, do you have any earplugs? Because I can't listen to my family in the front row. There's a problem there. Anyway, but it's just it's just an issue. In fact, I was reading in Reader's Digest about men. It's actually a testosterone issue. We have a uh, impulsive, intuitive thing that takes over. And though somebody's waving us, you know, come over here. Though somebody's, you know, somebody could be like with directions on the side of the road. You know, your wife could have told you 12 times on the way, but no, 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 no. We're not lost. We're, I'm going to fire my way eventually. It's, it's just, it's a testosterone issue, ladies. Just so you know, it's a testosterone issue. But what they discovered was we have what's called uh, cognitive, we don't, we, we lose what's called cognitive reflection. We don't, we don't want to look back. We just want to keep spit zone. We want to keep looking forward. This is an anointed area. When you talk as much as I do, there's, there's bound to be some things coming out of your mouth that you don't want. Uh, <laughs> but a cognitive reflection is lost. We stop. We don't stop. We don't drop and roll. We don't say, you know what? I'm lost, and I need to own it. I need to change direction. So here's our big idea in a nutshell. Real change is a change of direction. It's a change of direction. As Christianities, many of us could say we like to change, but truthfully, sometimes we never change. Sometimes we never change. We're the same. And other people can see that. And I think sometimes we're saying something to God and we're saying something to somebody else, but we're not doing a 180, we're doing 360s. I used to be able to skateboard a little bit when I was younger, on my huffy orange skateboard. Some of you skateboard, you know, that's a pretty ugly skateboard. But anyway, but I can remember, like, doing a 360 was cool when you were a skateboarder, but it's not cool in life. See, we can't just say we're going to do something, then turn right around all the way back to the same place we once were. God 
wants us to change the course and trajectory and trajectory and direction of our life and go the other way, go his way in different areas of your life. And the Holy Spirit's revealing those things on a regular to you guys and to me. But what gets in the way, what I think sometimes we don't grasp fully, this obstacle, and the obstacle is called sin. And nobody likes to talk about sin. I, Pastor D, I brought a guest today, and you're going to talk about sin? Come on. At the 1215. Holy kazoli. Let me, let, let me just say it like this, okay? I'm going to give you some stuff. If, you, if, if, you're, if you're hungry, I'm going to give you some stuff that's going to help you so, so much that I didn't know until I was like in my 30s, okay, which was just a couple of days ago. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think people... We minimize sin. We don't see it right. So sin is more than just um, a mulligan. I made a mistake. How about another swing? Sin is more than just, you know, I fell down, I get back up. Yes, that's partially true, okay? But Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. So what, what happens sometimes is we just focus on the trip, the fall, the little mistake, but we don't contrast it to the perfection, the majesty, the purity, the perfection of God. And so we don't see it the way we should see it. We don't see its significance, and so we don't deal with it the way we need to deal with it because we don't see it in contrast. Does that make sense? Some people, it's making sense. That's okay. And so let me define sin. Let me tell you what happens because of sin, and let's figure out how to get over it. I promise we'll get out of this sin subject in a second. Sin defined. we got to see it right, okay? It's more than a mulligan. Sin is not just hardness of heart. It's darkness. Sin is blindness. <coughs> sin is stubbornness. Now, I'll unpack that in a little bit. But when we sin, this is an eventuality, it always happens, sin's results, when you choose to sin, and by the way, we have free will, and we can choose good, we can choose bad. We can overcome evil with good, or we can just try to, we just keep on doing evil. God gave you this choice, free will agency, it's on you. He gave you that choice. But when you choose to sin, it's an eventuality. If you get outside of the, 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 the guardrails of life, you're going to find yourself crash at some point. It's an eventuality. That's the, that's the ramifications of getting outside of the will of God. So God creates those boundaries, restrictions, bumpers, guardrails for you, for your protection to keep you on track, to keep you safe. But sin, a lot of times we choose that. It looks like it's going good, and it does for a little while. It's fun for a little while. It has pleasure for a little while, but eventually we suffer. But we know that intellectually. Like, right here, like, yep, that's true. That's, mm, yep, mm, check, 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 check. <laughs> uh, but why do we do it? Why do we do it? Because it's darkness. See, when you're in the dark, you're in the dark. You can't see unless the light is on. When you're in the dark for an extended period of time, you become blind. Like, you can't even see anymore at all because you haven't been using the, the, you haven't been using your eye right. You haven't been using those spiritual muscles right, so eventually you become blind. What actually, which actually happens over a while, eventually, the Bible talks about this, you prefer the darkness to the light. And so you, be, you give God the Heisman, and you become stubborn and resistant to changing direction, to getting on, on track or getting right with God. Is everybody tracking with me out there? I'm going somewhere with this. So God knows what sin does, and so he provides a way out for us he provides a cure for us uh, to, for this 
inclination sometimes that we have for sin because sin has lures to it and it's always tantalizing us and it always looks good on the outside. It's got a skirt around the hook, just like you see in fishing. And that's what's happening. But to receive the cure uh, for recur, it requires a revelation about the path to sin. To see the solution, to see the cure to overcome sin, you have to see how we get on that path towards sin. See, most people are going through life and they're just focused on what's in front of them, the very next step or what's right here. We're very rarely focused on how our life or where our life is going to end up. We don't realize that every path has a predetermined destination. Every path. I get on Route 9 and I head east. I'm not going to show up in Worcester. Is everybody getting me? Your life, if you begin drinking alcohol recreationally, no big deal, with no boundaries to that, it's an eventuality. It's a path. Is everybody tracking? And before you know it, you have a problem if you don't set boundaries to those things, if you don't do things within moderation. Does that make sense? And so the path always begins, the path to sin always begins with this, rationalization, rationalization. Now, I'm going to try to unpack this, but you got to see a little, a little more truth to this before we unpack this and get you some language. See, here's what happens. You are rationalizing things every day that cause you to sin, and that sin keeps you from changing. I need some amens or omes once in a while from this third service, okay? Okay, so here's rationalization defined. is It's attempting uh, uh, to explain or justify a behavior, uh, and, and we think it's logical, but it's highly illogical. We think it's rational, but it's highly irrational to everybody else but you. But we've rationalized it, okay? And so what happens is we can't receive a revelation about sin and receive the solution to overcome sin until we stop the rationalization about sin. You can't receive the cure. You can't receive the solution. You can't overcome and actually change until we unpack this path of sin, this rationalization towards sin. And so rationalization, it has a language to it. And I'm just going to give you a couple of things that we say uh, to rationalize our sin. The first thing we say when we're rationalizing sin is we say things like, just this once. I, see, I hear a song right now, just once. Can we find a way to finally make? Sorry. I don't know. It's a problem. Anyway, but it, just this once. I know it's dark. I know it's wrong. But... Just once. I'm tired. I've been faithful all these years to my diet. I think I'm just going to splurge on Ben and Jerry's till I pass out. It's just once. <laughs> or more seriously, I've been faithful all my life to my life. I've been faithful all my life to my wife. But I'm, I'm on a trip with the guys. Nobody's. Just once. Just once. Sin lies. Sin's a liar. And sin, in the Bible, says the cords of sin will wrap around us when we make that kind of decision. It just seems like it's once. But every time it goes around, it suffocates your spiritual life. It's like a boa constrictor around you. And so, before you know it, we're sliding down a slippery slope. Sin is a slippery slope to addictive behaviors and patterns. Here's the next one that we say, and, we, and, and this is very common, is no one will know. No one's going to know. This is a big one. This was a big one for me. I thought, no one will know. What's the problem? Rationalization to sin, this path towards sin, keeps you from the solution to overcome and change. 
Is everybody tracking me? No one will know. Are you kidding me? My parents used to kind of imprint this onto my brain. My mother would just say, you better not be lying to me because I'll find out. <laughs> I mean, she, she, she said it so many times. I thought, maybe she, she have a hotline to heaven. Like, what's going on here? I actually did. My wife does that with the kids. We both did that growing up with our kids. Uh, you know, not to pick on any one kid. I'll just pick one. Devin, when Devin... <laughs> When Devin, Devin would say something, Stacy would say, listen, you better tell, be telling me the truth because you can be sure I'm going to find out. Why do you even try? You know it's going to come out. You know it's gonna, that's the kind of things we would say to all of our kids. And you know what? It did. It did. When I was, when I was the principal of our Christian school, we have a Christian school over here, 25 years, um, you know, preschool through, through fifth grade. And I was a principal before I was here. And so I, I, the, kids were, the kids were afraid of me. They were, they were just totally afraid of me, these little munchkins. And I loved on them, but the, the, some of them were really afraid, especially the ones that, that you know, were a little mischievous. You know what I mean? And it seemed to me that I could narrow down where misbehavior took place. It didn't happen in the classroom. It didn't happen in the hallways. It always happened in the boys' room because there was no accountability. And so, so I would convince those boys. I said, boys, you better not be lying to me. And you better not be misbehaving in there because I'll find out. And they're like, oh, yeah, whatever, whatever. And so every now and then I'd walk into the bathroom, pew, like, like mice in the corners. You know what I mean? Good morning, Pastor Fry. Good morning, good morning. You know, you know they'd be all, yes, sir, yes, sir. And I knew, I knew there was problems because there was like, you could tell there was like ropes, you know, from the, I'm like, where does rope come from, you know? And. There's like shoe prints on the, on the ceilings and tiles are moved. And there's like a little kid with white eyes. You can see him. Oh, you know, he's like, it's like there's misbehavior everywhere in the bathroom. But I couldn't prove it. And so I kept telling him, you know, God's going to show me. You better, and I'm, you better come clean. If one, and they'd all lie. They'd all lie. And so I put an intercom system in the bathroom. Now, the thing is, they didn't know. This wasn't just for public announcements. This was a receiver that I had in my office. <laughs> Are they in there now? You think they're in there now? Yes. Okay, thank you very much, Mrs. R. Billy, oh my gosh, Billy, I am going to crush you when I find you. They don't know. I could hear all the things they were, I heard some things they didn't want to hear, but I could, I could hear, oh my, and so I would run down to the bathroom, and I'd open the door, and they'd be like, oh, 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 and then, how did you know? I told you God would tell me. I told you God would tell me. And then that spread like wildfire through the school. Pastor Fry hears from God. You don't want to lie to him. <laughs> anyway, trade secret has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But it does, it does, it does. See, here's, here's the thing. God's like that. You can't lie to God. The Bible says in Numbers 32, 23, be sure. This is, I hated this verse. Get ready, get ready. Be sure your sin will find you out. <laughs> oh. Luke chapter 12, verse 2 says, the things that you, that you conceal, that you hide, that are sinful, will be sh eventually shouted from the rooftops. Now, the flip side is we're freaking about that, but the other side is, has that not happened in our culture today? I mean, over and over again, the people that we're following, and they're so cool, and their life's so awesome, just followed a little while, boom! Right? In 1 Timothy 5, 24, it says, some men's sins are obvious, and they catch up with them right away. They trip them up right away. It's my paraphrase. Other men's sins trail behind. What is that saying? It's saying that some people, you get caught right away. Short leash. You, by the way, you want to pray for a short leash in your relationship with God. 
It's always better to have a short leash than a long leash. And the slack of the line and the whiplash from that is so much worse than the short leash. You don't want a God that's trailing behind and, and circumstances trailing behind you. Can I have an amen? amen. You, want, you want to volunteer it. You want to get it out. You don't want to conceal. You want to reveal in the economy. No one will know. I got to get off this one. This is a big one. Here's the next one. Everyone's doing it. Mom, everyone's doing it. Dad, everyone's doing it. So you can't base your life on what's popular. Majority response is not a test of validity. Okay? So yes, it looks good for a little while. Sin has pleasure for a season. But ultimately, look what happens, okay? Everything God forbids is for our benefit. Here's the next one. Uh, this can't possibly be wrong because it feels so good. Reunited because it feels so good. Woo! Sorry. But that, you know what it happens? That, that's what happens. It sucks you right in. It's like, it feels so good. That's what happens. You don't realize I have rhythm. Anyway, I, I won more white boy contests in my day than you can imagine. Anyway, we're just sidebar. But I'm saved now. I got saved. I'm sorry. Um, so what happens is this... This happens is you, you get sucked in because it feels so good. And before you know it, you're waist high in sin. And this is a dangerous place to be. If you don't have someone see, that sees you, knows you, or is in your life to pull you out. Because you're just, you're this close to getting sucked into that river of destruction and pain and problems. That's why you want to be in a relationship. That's why you want more than Sundays. I, I don't care if this ends up, I do, I do want you to make this your church, but ultimately, I, I don't want you to just come to church on Sunday and not be connected. Our names connect for a reason. Because we know that if you're, that we're all disconnected at some level. And so this isn't a connection enough for you to keep you from the rationalizations and the paths of sin. And to be able to change, you have to be in life-giving relationships with other people who notice and go, oh, oh come on. Get out of there. Your short leash is your friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A brother's born for adversity. Come on, everybody. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So here's the next one. Um, this can't possibly be wrong. I already did that one. I did the next one. Uh, God will forgive me. God will forgive me. God will forgive me. And this, 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 this is where uh, we want, I want my cake and eat it too. Like I want, I want, I want these friends in this environment. Oh, but I love connect. Kumbaya, my Lord. You know, and, and it's kumbaya over here and, and, and communion. And it's tequila over here and la cucaracha. Okay, I mean, it's... <laughs> And we're walking both lines, and we are abusing grace that was priceless. We make grace cheap because we just think we can say this and do that, say this and do that, say this and do that. Listen, his grace is sufficient, but it's not sufficient for willful, progressive, ongoing disobedience and sin. So what is the solution to this pollution? It's repentance. Repentance. This is an amazing word that sometimes gets a bad rap and nobody wants to talk about it. And I certainly haven't in a little while in this, in this way or this much. Do you know what Jesus said? The greatest preacher born of a woman was John the Baptist and his greatest message was repent. Huh. Turn to your neighbor and say, repent. <laughs> See, I hope that you don't just understand repentance. I don't hope you just grasp a concept. I hope you'd be willing to, and if necessary, actually do it. 
once in a while. Because we all stumble in many ways. If life is about not stumbling, make, try not to make a mistake, and we're missing the mark. It's about when you do, how do you get back up? And the greatest solution to that pollution, the greatest solution to that eventuality is repent. Is repent. And the sad part is some of us never have really done it right. And so I want to unpack that for you. So here's the Greek word for repentance. That word in the English is repent. In the Greek, it's this word metanoia. You're going to learn something today. But metanoia, it means a changing of mind. It means a change of direction from correction. Interesting how last week and this week kind of connect together. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to change the course and trajectory that you were on. And you do a 180 and you change your direction. All change begins with a change of direction. All change. And, and, and in order for you to change, or for, for, in order for you to sin, you have to first conceive something that is wrong is right. To sin, you had to conceive something that was wrong is right. Something sinful is beautiful. Uh, something fattening is calorie-free. See, I, for me to eat carrot cake, I got to focus on the carrot. Is everybody trying with me? Like, let's forget about all the cream, you know, cheese frosting, and let's forget about all the sugar. Let's forget about, let's just focus on the carrot. See, this is good for me because it has carrots in it. <laughs> you see the rationalization there? Oatmeal raisin cookies. These are my two favorite desserts, but foundationally, they are born out of rationalization. <laughs> Oatmeal raisins, what do I focus on? Oatmeal raisin cookie, I focus on the raisins. Raisins are good for you. They're good for your digestion. They're good for energy. You know, yeah, but, okay. So you guys get the point? And so in order to overcome the sin, we have to do something. We have to, repentance is that way. We have to be detecting and destroying these, uh, these, these, these rationalizations, these mental deceptions. And this is happening all the time. And here's, here's a deception that has creeped into the modern church, the Western church, uh, and I call it the 1 John 1, 9 problem, okay? So for those of you who know your Bibles a little bit, uh, let me tell you what this says. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that true? Of course it's true. It's a promise of God. But what happens is we don't understand what precedes confession. So we confess our sins. We say we're sorry, and we repeat. We say we're sorry, and we repeat. We say we're sorry, and we repeat. Over and over and over again. And we're not changing. Listen, I'll unpack this in a little bit, so hang on. We're not changing because we're not really repenting. Because if we really repented, we wouldn't repeat. We won't repeat when we really understand repent. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to unpack. In 11 minutes and 56 seconds, I'm going to unpack what repent looks like. Because you're caught... I'm caught, been caught, in a compulsive confessor uh, attitude. This is what a lot of people do all the time. They, they, they think the answer is 1 John 1, I just got to confess, I just got to confess. I gotta, no, 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 no. Confession is part of it, but not all of it. You have to repent before you confess. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is good preaching, I'm learning something right now. This is really, 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 this is really, really deep, okay? It's really deep, really, really deep, Okay? Now, in your Bibles, if you like to mark things up, I'm just telling you the best chapter in the Bible, most comprehensive understanding of repentance is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, which I'm going to show you right now. This will be one, I promise it will help you for the rest of your life. This is so cool that we're in church learning stuff like this. Okay, 
So this is super concentrated. The, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes a letter to the Corinthian church correcting certain unethical behaviors for, for believers. And he's pretty strong about it because he doesn't care what they think of him. He more cares about them. He cares more about them. So he says, I'm, I'm not sorry that I sent this tough letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. But now I'm glad I sent it to you, not because it hurts you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. See, the, see what precedes change? What? Repent. What, what precedes change? Repent. Come on, say it with me. What, what precedes change? Repent. Okay. All right. It goes on. He says, it was the kind of sorrow God wants, which means there must be a sorrow that God doesn't want. There's a sorry that's good. There's a sorry that's bad. The kind of sorrow God wants his people to have so you were not harmed by us in any way because it was good sorrow. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin. So I don't confess. If, if I don't repent and I just confess, I go right back to the sin. If I repent and I confess, it leads me away from sin. Did you guys get that? Okay. And results in salvation or change. There's no regret. See, what I've experienced with compulsive confessors or people who are just confessing their sin is they go back to it again, and what happens? Regret. And then they do it again, and then there's regret. And they do it again, and then there's regret. And ultimately, we resign that we can't change. Not true. It's because we just confessed, but it wasn't preceded by genuine, true, real repentance. This is so good. I don't even know if you know how good this is. Okay, so there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. You give up. You, you turn it over. It's, 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 it's over. Just see what this godly sorrow produces in you. So here's the results of godly sorrow. Here's, here's change coming. Everybody ready? Change is coming. Godly sorrow produces what? Earnestness. Dad, this is just for you because your name's Ernie. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves. You want to be clean and clear. Such indignation. That means you're not, you're, you're indignant about what you once did. You're like, no, that's wrong. No, I can't do that anymore. Such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal. Now you're on fire for God. Um, and such readiness to punish wrong. I'm not going back like a dog to my vomit. That's what the Bible says. People do with sin. They're like, I don't like it, but I keep going back to it. Why? Because you just confessed. You didn't really repent. You sh and so I punish that. No. I'll beat my body into submission. I won't continue that. You show that you have done everything necessary. Here's the result. Here's the result of repentance to make things right. So the elements of repentance are godly sorrow. It's a good sorry, not a bad sorry. Moving forward, not looking backward. A repulsion of sin. You're not excited by sin. No, you're like, no, no, I'm not doing that again. Why, why is that possible? Genuine repentance. You have a revival towards God. People who really repent are on fire for God. See, listen, the early church when people got saved, this is going to hurt what I'm getting ready to say, so get ready. Put some, put some, sun, put some suntan lotion on right now, okay, because it's going to hurt. The people who were on fire for God in the early church, they, they told everybody about Jesus after they repented and believed, and the early church exploded. People come in here, give their life to Jesus, and they don't tell anybody. Because I think they just confessed Jesus is Lord. They didn't repent of their sin. I think there would be more on fire people for God if we really repented. We wouldn't repeat, which would motivate us. Because, and it would show and demonstrate to everybody else zeal, uh, fire, moving forward, change. And everybody would be like, who is that guy? 
Who is that girl? That's incredible. Because we really repented. Is everybody tracking with me? And then the result of repentance is you make it right with other people. So, so how do I do it? So how do I do it? That's, what, that's the elements of it. That's sort of what it looks like. And so basically what I want to do is in one book of the Bible, try to help you see three characteristics of genuine repentance that you need towards God, you need with your spouse, you can use with your kids, you want to see with your kids towards you and each other. This, these three things are going to help you understand true repentance. And I'm going to give it to you and then I'm going to explain it, okay? So here's three things. Repentance starts with a change of mind. A change of mind. Repentance starts with a change of emotions. And repentance starts with a change of will. Mind, emotions, and will. In Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal. Everybody say the prodigal so I know you're with me. Uh, you might be a prodigal. I was a prodigal. Praise the Lord. God loves, the Father loves prodigals. And he, and he continues to look for them and long for them to return. But the prodigal, and I'll paraphrase this, he took his inheritance, he basically gave his family the Heisman, and I'm better than you, and, and, and I'm, I'm taken off, and he goes off, and he squanders all of his inheritance in wild and crazy living to the point where he has nothing left, and now, in order to make ends meet, he has to get a job, and he gets a job working in a pig pen, uh, feeding pigs, and eating the same food as the pigs. And the Bible says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, and the Bible says no one gave him anything. Now sometimes, listen to me Christians who try to help other people. Some of you are at uh, Thursday night service uh, for team night, uh, lifeguards. Sometimes we, we need to be careful that we don't get in the way of God bringing people back to himself. So sometimes, the Bible says this, it says no one gave the prodigal anything. So he's in this terrible situation and man didn't interrupt what God was working in the circumstances in his life. Is everybody with me? See, sometimes we service people's sin. Sometimes we finance their sin. Oh, you got a rebellious child. They left. They're dishonoring your mother. Uh, they were abusive. And so you had to kick them out. But then you called them up and said, hey, if you ever get in trouble, call me for money. I'll help you out. Can I just tell you something? That's jacked up. You're getting in the way of God. You're servicing somebody's sin. You need to allow the circumstances to educate, edumacate them. And some things that hurt us most instruct us most. Allow that pain to do its work, okay? Because right after that, in case you're getting upset with me, right after that, here's what happens. It says, then he came to his senses. What if, what if dad called and gave him some more money? What if dad said, you want to stay out there and keep living in hotels and harlots? Here, I'll send you some money. That's crazy, right? No, we stayed out of the way. We never give up. We back up on people, okay? So when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. And I'll say to him, dad, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. See, here's what happens. There was a change of mind in the prodigal. He basically gets to this place, he gets to this place where he came to himself. 
In order for us to change, we have to change direction. In order for us to change direction, there had to be a change of thinking, a change of mind. He's like, in this situation, he's like, whoa, how did I get here? I'm sitting in the mud with the pigs. I mean, what has happened to me? What is, go- what is going on? How-, how low do I have to go? I would say that to some of you, and some of you listen online. It, sometimes I say this often to myself, and to, my wife and I say this sometimes about people we love. How low do you have to go before you repent and surrender and submit and yield to God? See, sin took him farther than he wanted to go and made him pay more than he wanted to pay, and he came to his senses because somebody didn't pay that for him. Is everybody with me? Yeah. Repentance also has a change of emotions. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. See, picture this. Initially, initially he thought he was too sexy for his shirt. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm out of here. I'm going to go do this and I'm going to go do that. And then later he thinks, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Forgive me. I'm not awesome. I'm not so great. You're awesome. And it would be an honor even to be one of your servants. He had an emotional response to his sin. And lastly, repentance is a change of will. And see, what happens is when you begin to change your mind and you begin to change your emotions, your will already has a plan of action. If it's genuine repentance where you change your thinking, it will automatically change your emotions and it will put a course of action into your behavior. And so the Bible says that he set out. Uh, One translation says, I will arise. I will go to my father. I will say to my father. He's like, listen, I got to go make, I'm not going to do this anymore. What do I need to do to make this right? How do I sort this out with my dad? I'll do whatever it takes to make things right with my family. That's repentance. A change of mind, a change of emotions, and a change of will. Is everybody tracking with me out there? Re- listen, repentance isn't a bad word. Repentance is awesome. Get that into your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen? And so you could call out, I could, if we had time, I'd say call out a sin. You know, call out pornography. Call out, you know, covetousness. Call out slander. Whatever it is, put it through the grid for you to others, for you to God, for them to you. Put it through the grid. Was there a change of mind? Uh, this, this is pornography. It's bad for me. You know, it, it's distortion of reality. It's affecting my intimacy with God and my intimacy with my wife. Uh, you know, I grieve about that. I'm so sorry, God. Uh, if I have to, I'm going to throw my computer right out the window. Change of mind, emotions, and the will. Is everybody tracking with me? That's real repentance. And if you don't see that, then you're going to confess it and nothing's going to happen. So, how do I know I've repented? <laughs> you got to see proof in the pudding. You have to see some fruit, and that's what it should look like. If you have an abusive husband, and he says he's sorry, but it could be worldly sorry or godly. So there's your grid. There's your filter. Is there a change of thinking? I want to hear that in what he says. Is there a change or her? I want to hear, is there, is there emotion? Is, is, is it, I'm sorry, but is it convincing? If you're really sorry, it should be convincing. It should be compelling. If you're really sorry, there should be a change. What do I need to do, honey, to communicate to you how serious I am to be in right standing with you and the kids? And if you want, I'll sleep in the basement. If you want, I'll just stay out until you feel ready. Do you see the difference? Okay, that's repentance, everybody. And so, so what you need to do is you need to, number one, stop, just specifically, stop rationalizing your sin. Oh, you know, 
People say things like this, and they try to tell you they're sorry, and they'll even argue about it. If I've wronged you, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry you feel that way. In the school of repentance, you get an F for that. Okay? If I wronged you, that was not my intent. Survey says, eh, eh. Okay? What I did... If it hurts you, I just, I never, I never wanted to hurt you. I'm sorry that you feel like that. Listen, real repentance says, I'm sorry, it's my fault, and I have no excuse for my behavior. And it's, what about them? Never mind about them. You can't change them anyway. You cannot control somebody else's behavior. You can't change them. You can change you. But if you own what you do, your behavior, your change from the inside out will have more of an opportunity, impact, or influence on other people because you change. Other people are more likely to be able to change. Can I have an amen? So we get confused on this. We think because I said it, that settles it. Mm. No, no, no. That was, that was sinful. Um, I'm going to write that on a sticky note. That was sinful. <laughs> It's like putting a post-it note that says, uh, lust is sinful. See, I confessed it. There it is. Lust is sinful. That didn't do anything because you just confessed it. You had to change your mind behind that stupid post-it note. You had to change your emotion. You had to change your will and your behavior in the process. Because you can't say what God says about your sin until you see what God sees. But if you see as God sees, you can do as he says. That was a lot. If you see as God sees, you can do as God says. Number three, I'm genuinely sorry. You got to be genuinely sorry. That's, that's felt godly sorrow. There's a heart change. You know, the David, King David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, some of you know that story, rub-a-dub-dub, you know, he was looking at a woman in a tub. And so and when he sinned, and he, and he did some really bad stuff. He murdered a guy, and he slept with a woman, and all that kind of stuff. Initially, he was in denial, and he was just trying to hide and isolate and insulate himself from sin. But eventually, after the, he, came, he came out of that, he came to his senses. You know, he, he came to his senses because there was pain as a result of his sin, and, and, and people were hurt because of his sin. And then he didn't conceal it any longer. He confessed it. They repented, and then he confessed it. In fact, he was so open about it, he took darkness and put it into the light so that the truth could do its total work. And he, in Psalm 51, he says, you know, God, take not your Holy Spirit. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And in Psalm 51.4, in, in the previous verses, he said, and this is where I think we start when we, when we need to get right with God. And before we get right with people, get right with God. He says, against you only have I sinned. See, you know it's repentance when it's not about me, it's about you. You know it's repentance when you get right with God, because if you get right with God, he's going to say, now go get right with her, and go get right with him. Does that make sense? That's genuine, genuine sorrow. And number four, last point, is I'm doing everything I can to make things right. See, restitution, nobody wants to talk about that anymore. See, you're not right with God until you're in the process of making it right with the people you have sinned against. That's real repentance, everybody. Are you guys getting something out of this out there? Surviving this message? So write this one more thing down. Maybe two, maybe three, just kidding. I want you to see repentance as a gift, though. Not as, it's not a bad word. The way out, see... The enemy, look at me, one more thing. The enemy tries to get you to do something after you confess. You, it's a, repentance is a gift that changes everything after. 
You need to genuinely repent. You need to, the part you play is before you repent. See, you, you, make it, you make it right. You get your heart right. You get your mind right. You get your emotions right. You get your will right. You repent, and then God begins to change it. You can't, people are working to change their lives, but they've never repented. See, you repent, and he'll give you the power to change. The result, 2 Corinthians 7, of genuine repentance on fire for God, moving forward, not backward, uh, genuine, genuine, genuine sorrow, all these, the byproduct of change was real repentance. You won't repeat if you really, really repent. It's a gift from God. And what happens is if we don't repent, eventually it becomes impossible to repent. And I hate this point. You say, what does that mean? Well, our, our life is a temporary assignment. We've got one shot to repent for things. To repent to be in right standing with God eternally and to repent for things that we've done here temporarily, here in this temporal world. You got, it's a dress rehearsal. It's not a dress rehearsal. It's a real show. Excuse me. You got one shot to repent. There's a guy in the Bible. His name is Esau. God had a plan for his life and he gave his, he gave his, his birthright away, his birthright for an appetite. He gave away his destiny for a bowl of beans, the Bible says. And this is what happened. And there's other places for this in the Bible. But in Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says, For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Everybody say rejected. In other words, there was a point in time where God was like, okay, I'm done. It's not a message anybody wants to preach. But grace isn't, it's sufficient, but it's not forever. It's sufficient for everything you've done, but it's not forever. I don't know how long God's, God will travail and work with the hard hearts of men, but he, the Bible says uh, that, that Esau found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Tears is never a sign of true repentance necessarily. So I'm just telling you, don't throw away the gift of repentance. It can change everything if it, was, if it was real. Real repentance will keep you from repeating some of the crazy, stupid things and help you to change and grow, not only in your relationship with God forever, but in the here and now. So please, people, don't harden your heart to God. Would you close your eyes and let me pray for you? You're here, sir, man, boy, girl. You're here. For whatever reason, I believe God had a plan for it. You're here because God wants you to be able to change. And I think in your heart of hearts, you know there are things in your life that need to change. And I would say, most importantly, uh, there are people that are here that may be far from God. And in order for you to make the changes you need to make, you need to make sure you come into relationship with God. Come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And then there are some of you that you're already in relationship with God, but your behavior hasn't changed. You've just been a compulsive confessor. You're just saying, sorry, 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 but you really haven't repented. I hope you walk out of here today willing and, 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 and consistently able to repent to God for the sins that we, that we commit. And we will at different times, but that's going to bring about change in your life. But if you're here today and you're far from God, I want to give you a chance to connect with him today. That may be the reason you're here today. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that requires a little boldness with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you know that, if you know it's time for you to say, I can't do it by myself. I can't trust in myself. I can't save myself. I can't overcome my own sin. I, I need Jesus to come into my life. Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I don't want to leave today. Good night. Don't miss that. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Three, four, five in the back there. Six, thank you. Seven, eight, thank you. Nine, thank you for that. That's awesome. Ten, thank you. 
Thank you, G. You can put your hands down. Thank you, sir. Eleven, thank you, sir. Thank you for your courage. You can put your hands down. Church, would you join these people and those people that raised your hand? I want you to say this prayer from your heart. Say, Jesus, I repent. I turn. I change direction. I surrender the wheel of my life to Jesus Christ today. I thank you that you made a way by grace, through faith, I can be rescued, saved, changed. Father, let me pray for these people. Father, I pray that every person that said that, that you would change them from the inside out. The old is gone. The Bible says the new has come. They're given a new nature, a new, uh, a new inclination, not to sin anymore, but to please God. They'd be given the power because they've repented of their sins. And Lord, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins because they repented and confessed Jesus as Savior and as Lord. And I pray that, Lord, as their names, even now, are being written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that they would witness in their hearts that something changed, something in their mind and something in their will where they want to make the necessary changes. And for the people here that are struggling to change in areas of their life, I pray that there was a revelation about the rationalizations of sin and that they, they would agree with God and they would no longer continue to do those things anymore in their life and that they would fully, fully submit their life to God because the truth that they know now is setting them free. In Jesus' name, and all the church said, Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for all those decisions, for all that revelation.